You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. I got a bad feeling about this. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! He's looking at you, kid. What we got here is a failure to communicate. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Um, I guess I'll go alphabetically through the Best Picture nominees, but before I do that, Holden, I mean, we have to talk about the whole the cap thing, right? There's up to 10 Best Picture nominees. People who used to watch the Oscars in the 90s, which is otherwise known as when people used to watch the Oscars, uh, there were used to five nominees, um, and that got changed at some point. There's a whole history here where it was bigger, then smaller, now bigger again. Uh, I know we go through this every year, but do you want to like roughly recap uh, the history of the category there? Uh, sure. Uh, uh, originally, if you go back and look at the first few uh, ceremonies, they really didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> they were literally making it as they went along. Sometimes there were only two nominees in each category. It was it was very strange. It kind of normalized by the 50s and kind of stayed pretty much like it was from the 50s all the way through the 2000s. Uh, but at earlier points, there had been more than five nominees for picture. It's never been more than really five for any of the other uh, categories except for those first few years um and then they decided they got lots of pushback about you know how come this kind of movie doesn't get nominated how come that kind of movie doesn't get nominated so like okay well let's let's change it a bit and we'll have up to 10 and uh now i guess it's going to change where it's going to be 10 every year no matter what so that's fine with me i mean i ultimately it doesn't really matter <laughs> to me I, it's it's always great to have you know be able to put that on your marketing later that you know oh it was an academy award nominee for best picture but it really comes down to you know two or three pictures every year that have a legitimate shot and then six or eight or ten however many they can do 20 nominees it's always going to come down to two or three pictures and very very seldom is there a, a big surprise the heuristic you offered and i think it's still and other people have offered too and i think it's a pretty good one is that generally speaking the quote-unquote real nominees are the ones that also have best director nominations yeah i mean it doesn't always line up that way i mean just just in the last you know decade um uh, Green Book and Argo both won Best Picture without the directors being nominated, and that was in the age of of you know more than five nominees. But generally, and those are but those are the anomalies. Uh, we'll see if that becomes more common as we go on from here on. But um, generally, that that doesn't happen. It's very rare. So even though it's happened twice in recent history, it's still a rare thing. Right, and the full 10 nominees is rare. I think we have to go back roughly a decade uh, to when they last maxed out at 10. They they said we can do 10 now, and I think they did it for the first year or two, if I'm remembering right, and then it was 8 or 9 pretty much every year, pretty much from like 2013 until this year. Yeah, and I think there there is a rule change now where I think they're going to they're gonna max out at 10 every time now from now on, or at least until they change it again. Well, next year. Oh, next year, yeah. So. Yeah, they're going to change everything next year. <laughs> I mean, they're, they they seem to be kind of just in throw things against the wall mode, if that's fair to say. Uh, I don't know if they were going to do this anyway, uh, or if COVID sort of forced their hand a little bit. I'm thinking it could be a bit of both. It kind of feels like 
the you know the the early shift to VODs just a month or two after theaters. It's one of those things that we all just assumed would happen, but we also assumed it would take a lot longer. And all the timelines have been maybe been moved up. I know last a lot of people think last year's broadcast was terrible. They are admittedly the kind of people who think every single year's broadcast is terrible, and maybe they're not wrong. I'm not really sure, but you definitely see, especially with this whole announcement that they're not going to be broadcasting uh, live a lot of these awards as they're handed out. You certainly get the idea that the Oscars, as we know them, uh, will maybe never be the same. No, I don't know, because other awards do the same thing. I'm used to them being on, of course, all of them, everybody being told to hurry up and shut up. At least I guess they won't be told to hurry up and shut up. Oh, you're an optimist. Oh, I see. Because <laughs> I'm kind of thinking, wouldn't it be very Oscars-like for them to cut eight awards from the uh, normal broadcast and still run long on time? Oh, yeah, they're still going to run long. Yeah, they're not going to use this to streamline the broadcast, right? They're going to use it, they're going to pad it. They're going to take all the extra time they've saved and pad it with other things. They have a lot of things they can pad it with, but nobody cares about those either. Yeah, they're going to replace something they don't think anyone cares about with something else people don't necessarily care about. I should briefly list the categories that they will not be handing out live. Documentary short subject, film editing, makeup and hairstyling, original score, production design, animated short film, live action short film, and Sound. This constant chase to make the Oscars something they aren't is, is you know, I've, I've been watching it since, you know, the 70s when I was a kid. And, you know, it, it just was what it was. And then all over the intervening decades, it's just like, well, we should make it less this and more this and more this and less this. To me, it's like, you know, trying to change baseball. It's like, well, we don't want to like we don't want to see four outside pitches to walk a guy like. Uh, oh, okay, is that really changing? Are are the people who hate baseball not watching baseball because you have to watch a guy throw four pitches before he intentionally walks a guy? I don't think so. I don't think that's what's keeping people from watching baseball on mass. I don't think what's keeping people from watching the Oscars, people who don't give a shit about the Oscars anyway, is because they have best costume design and best sound get up. I mean, I just don't think that's what the problem is. I think the problem is just, you know, I think they should stand the ground and have the, the Oscars be what the Oscars are, and they clearly don't want to do that, which is fine. Okay, change things every time. I don't know that cutting awards out from the live broadcast is the answer, but they're going to try it. I'm sure they're going to they're try lots of things over the next you know four or five years. We'll see what they do. I mean, are we going to get lots of like, video montages? Are we going to get... You know, what what kind of content are they going to fill? Because I, I agree. I don't think they're going to like make this a, an hour and a half broadcast. It's still going to be three hours. It's just not going to have uh, some of the stuff it used to have. So we'll see what they replace it with, and we'll see how this morphs over the, over the next couple of years. I will give them credit for the montages. Those are usually really well edited, the way they find the, the scenes across different films that kind of echo each other. I always get... I'm always tickled by that. But to your point about like ratings and, and kind of chasing here, they're chasing... You know, a time 25 years ago where tens of millions of people watched. Tens of millions of people watched lots of things. Exactly. It's not just, I mean, like the World Series ratings are declining. This is declining. That Okay, but people just don't watch TV the way they used to watch TV. Just accept it and stop trying to, oh, but what about the ratings in 1996 and 1984? Like, who cares? It's never going to be that, ever. The Oscars are the people who are hardcore film nerds and and or like kind of the fashion and pomp of it are going to watch it. And if that's a dwindling number, that's a dwindling number. I mean, you you to make it 
to try to make it even like the MTV music. I, I don't know what their what their what their target is. <laughs> I don't know what they're trying to do. I, and clearly, I think from the last four or five, you can see they don't know what they're trying to do either. They, they are just trying a bunch of things, and none of them seem to work. And every all of them seem to anger somebody or another. I, I mean, I would just stand my ground and kind of streamline it as best you can, but keep it the kind of basic ceremony it's been forever, but they're not asking me. Yeah, they respond to complaints, seems like more than coming up with their own ideas, really. I mean, they yeah. come up with their ideas after somebody complains about something. I heard it said, and I think I agree with this, that every movie here is pretty good. None of them really stand out as like obvious future masterpieces. I like some of them. Uh, I'm, some of them I'm a little confused as to why they're here. I will run through them alphabetically as I always do. Uh, Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. So there are three out-and-out remakes here among the Best Picture nominees. That's as many as the previous four years combined, and that's only if you count Fences, which I believe was a stage play, and this was, and that was the first film adaptation, I think. And if you don't count that, you're going all the way back to 2013 with Les Mis, which was also, I think, the last year we got 10. Yeah, it's just, I mean, part of it is um, still, we're still in the cycle where, you know, just playing not as many movies are being released in the coming out of the pandemic so i think that's part of it and just just look at the draw i mean i don't think most people even realize that coda is a remake um i didn't i didn't when i first saw it so I, when i looked at it, I was like, oh it is a remake okay uh nightmare alley i knew very well and of course west side story is you know remake of a best picture winner so so i guess four if you count dune then yeah if you consider that Re- remake, re- reimagining, right? It's somewhere straddling the line between the two, maybe? My least favorite is probably King Richard, which I thought was, you know, pretty straightforward and a little odd. I mean, uh, they straddle. Uh, I'll probably get this more when we talk about uh, Will Smith, um, Will Smith's nomination. But, you know, he's not a very likable guy, which, I mean, not necessarily supposed to be likable, but, you know, really straddle the line of the kind of the format of that genre being oh he's the driving force that's pushing these girls out of their situation but also he's really an asshole uh, so it's it's an odd movie uh, that's probably my least favorite that's probably of those and i I've, I've seen all i've seen nine i haven't seen drive my car yet i tried to get to it beforehand but i won't get to it till next week so of those of those nine i mean king richard is probably the one i would least like to go back and watch again anytime soon um even nightmare alley you know has great production design and has some strong points. Um, my favorites are uh, probably Coda and Belfast. Coda, I really enjoyed. I, I watched it one time whenever it first came out uh, on uh, Apple Plus and enjoyed it, but I think it was a little distracted there. I went back and watched it a second time uh, in the last week or two, and it really, really hit me. And I really like that movie a lot. And Belfast, I like a lot. I don't know how much traction they have. Either one has to really win, but those are my favorites. Oh, I just watched Coda again last night. Yeah, it would be way up there for me. Well, Coda, a uh, film, yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but I understand it's a film about being the child of deaf parents. Um, and probably because of both recency bias and the subject matter, my mind first went to 2019 Sound of Metal, of course, at which point I immediately realized how few mainstream films there must be about deafness if my mind went right there. Yeah, and technically, you know, if it was children of deaf parents, it would be Codab. <laughs> Which sort of children should, of deaf adults? Right, right. We should point out it is an acronym. Yes, I, w- I want to ask you both about "Don't Look Up." This is probably the nomination I was most surprised by. I actually just saw this the other day, and it's an Adam McKay film 
which means it is kinetic and entertaining. He manages to make entertaining films even about stock shorting, let alone the end of the world. I thought the editing was weirdly misplaced this time, though. It was a weird mix of sudden cuts uh, alongside scenes that either seem unnecessary or go on way too long, so kind of dissonant. I'm tempted to say that McKay is a victim of his own success in the same way basic editing becomes optional for like sufficiently famous book authors. And I also wonder if maybe being a Netflix film from the start as opposed to something they bought after the fact, maybe contributes to that indulgence a little bit, because, you know, Netflix is kind of famously willing to throw, you know, money at these prestige projects, these award winners, and then let them do whatever they want, a la Scorsese's The Irishman. So I found it kind of strangely paced relative to McKay's normal normal films, and I'm definitely surprised it's nominated. On the other hand, given the backlash it got uh, for being, you know, smarmy, uh, didactic, all that stuff, given all I read about that, I, it wasn't as bad as I thought. I'll say that for it. Yeah, I, I think that backlash is probably what propelled it uh, as much as anything into the nominees. I didn't really have a problem with it. I kind of saw it before all the backlash, and I, it was one of those that kind of got backlash from the left and the right, which was unusual. It's usually one or the other. Hey, bipartisanship is not dead. And it, and it was kind of both sides had, had issues with it, and I didn't. I kind of watched it before all that chatter really started getting too loud. I didn't, you know, I didn't think it was great. I didn't think it was bad. I, it was like, it was okay. I don't really have a problem with it being nominated, but I think a lot of it was was the backlash that they were kind of saying, "Hey, you keep going, buddy. Don't listen to those haters. You, you, you got it." <laughs> it was more that that than this is a masterpiece. You know, I don't think it would. I think rarely people nominate thinking this is a masterpiece, but this is not a, you know a great movie that's gonna you know fifteen years now people are gonna be talking about necessarily unless a comet starts coming towards us. Having watched it before all the hubbub and now trying to imagine watching after all the hubbub, yeah, I don't think it's as bad as, as anyone was crying about, but it's probably not as good as one of the 10 best pictures of the year. Or one of McKay's four or five best, maybe, when, when the dust settles, in my opinion. I, I feel like this is, you yeah. know, again, he's a very talented director, but I felt a little indulgent to me in terms of length and, and scene length and scene inclusion and all that, and this weird song in the middle that seems like it really, really, really wants to get a nomination or something, but it... We all watched it here like the day it came out or whatever on Netflix. I was trying to figure out what it was trying to do. It seemed like it was trying to do everything. So I was I was laughing at parts uh, but they, they were mostly the obvious parts. When they got a little more uh, subtle and all that I was smiling but um, I was just kind of saying who is this for? My wife and I had the same reaction and I, I think I'm not sure if I can articulate it any better than, than you can. I think both of us kind of have the same problem kind of pinning down exactly what the issue is. One thing that we kind of agreed on was it never seemed to really decide if it wanted to be completely absurdist or kind of realistic. It was kind of both from scene to scene. And I kept trying to compare it, like I'm just naturally going to, to Dr. Strangelove, right? This big political apocalyptic satire, except I felt like every time it would approach that level of like nuance and subtlety, instead of just staying there and staying smart and subtle someone would start screaming and swearing. It, like, it was really worried that the satire wasn't going to land, which in retrospect was not a problem. There was no chance of it not landing, but it seems very concerned that it's not going to, and so it literally screams at you to make sure you get it. The scenes at the end where they're having dinner... Powerful, I thought. Was, yeah, I thought that was the, probably the best scenes. I have heard it suggested that if Dune is going to win any major awards, it's going to be with the we think, inevitable second film, the conclusion, similar to the way maybe Return of the King seemed to reap the benefits of the previous two installments after those only took, I think, 
pretty much only technical plaudits. Of all the Oscar favorites, insofar as we care about Vegas odds, and we like to talk about them a little bit because we do have the, the picks pool and the predictions game, uh, Dune for best visual effects is the biggest favorite of any category I've seen so far. Yeah, well, it'll probably win. I mean, Spider-Man is probably the only thing that could pop it. I've never read Dune, I'll say that right off the bat. Never even really tried. So yeah, my only relationship with it was it was with the uh, David Lynch movie and then the um, Joe Dorowski uh, documentary. So that's my, you know, the only understanding I have of, of the world is from uh, Lynch's, you know, flawed if crazy film and that documentary and i do like this movie a lot i like you know villeneuve i like uh like his filmmaking i like his sensibility i think he's the right guy for this job and for the first time from my limited experience with the with the other movie and the documentary i did kind of get the mystical religious uh kind of angle of it which i think as far as i understand kind of drives the the books a lot which you know partially because lynch is lynch and partially because they just tried to shove so much in that movie you know it didn't really get from that the sense of it so i mean i i I really like the movie but it's definitely like you know right when it gets going it's over i really like it i really like him uh i don't think he's got a chance of winning yeah, well, the best chance of winning is one of the few films we haven't talked about yet. That is The Power of the Dog. It is the odds-on favorite, although that can change as we get closer. Always there is a there is a Vegas favorite until they start handing out, like, Director's Guild Awards and uh, SAG Awards and stuff like that, which we will talk about in a moment, I'm sure. And sometimes that just changes overnight when one of these fairly predictive other awards comes out. But for now, it is The Power of the Dog. Uh, I should point out all four of its acting leads got nominations. Uh, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, who are married in real life. Fun. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and Cody Smith-McPhee, whose name sounds like a parody of a child actor. I will say up front, I, I appreciate this film more than I like it. I don't entirely get the excitement. I'm not sure why it's a runaway favorite right now. It's interesting. It's well made. Um, I appreciate how slow and deliberate it is. But whatever surprises it has in store, without saying too much, they're kind of telegraphed. It might have been hurt by the fact that I was expecting something at least moderately resembling a Western and, and didn't get it. Am I missing anything here, anything here Holden? We, we discussed this actually in person last week a little bit, so I know that you're not a huge fan of this film either. Yeah, I mean, I, I like it too. It's it's not my favorite of the year. Why it's, it's the one that's kind of got the momentum who knows i mean <laughs> lots of years like i was kind of scratching my head like well, how come that's the one but yeah i mean we'll see how the producers guild award goes and the director's guild award goes uh if it wins both of those it's you know not a fate complete but pretty close it's i mean it's not unlike uh jane campion's other films <laughs> uh including the piano which is the only other uh, oscar nomination she's uh, ever had um which lost to schindler's list and spielberg that year bad timing yeah, sometimes that it, it has the art house aesthetic and art house feel, but it's not really very complicated. So in that way, it's it makes people who don't sometimes get those kinds of movies feel smart. They're like, oh, I got it. Like, oh, I, I know you got it. It's not very complicated, but it has that, that veneer of being uh, one of those movies. Like, I never get these movies, but oh, I get this one. Like, yeah, because there's not all that much going on. There's not that many layers, but okay, you got it. Good. So I, I think it falls in kind of that, which they, for whatever reason, collectively fall in love with every once in a while. Basically, I'm watching it, and I'm not sure who the lead character is, what it's really about. I'm getting into it because it looks so good. I mean, I think I called it, this is obvious, but it was kind of like a psychosexual gothic horror western. Oh, God, please put that on a poster as a pull quote somewhere. Psychosexual gothic horror western. 
That's what it is. You really helped me clarify my own reaction to it, actually. Uh, when you said, like, you were kind of checked out, kind of bored, but you were still watching because it looks so good. I realize now that you say that, that I kept just assuming that there is this depth that is going to come to the surface late in the film. It feels like a well-made film. It feels like it's saying important things. And I keep waiting for, like, the culmination of all that. It feels like there's all this setup, all this stuff bubbling just beneath the surface, and it's going to come out somehow. It's That the third act is going to be so powerful. It's going to pay off all this stuff. And I don't think it does. I guess that's probably a good way of explaining why I found it underwhelming, is that it felt like it was promising something uh, because it's so well-made, because it's well-acted, because it kind of has that implication of depth that I feel like uh, didn't really show up in the end. Yeah, I'll go with that. All right, cool. We solved it. So uh, we talked about whether or not this uh, The Power of the Dog is the best picture favorite. Well, it is pretty much unambiguous, at least now, again, that Jane Campion for Best Director is the favorite there. I mentioned earlier that Dune had the best odds to win visual effects. Well, of the quote-unquote major awards, the top eight or however, wherever you want to draw that line, among those, Best Director is the clearest cut odds-wise. It's Jane Campion uh, by a pretty significant margin over uh, Spielberg and a couple of the others. Like you said, Holden, sort of an understated form of direction. We saw her with uh, The Piano back in 93, I think it was. And it's kind of a, yep. it's, it's a very signature style, right? Like, this isn't the kind of director who's making a big bombastic a film one second or a dialogue-heavy one the next, and then something quite and understated like this. All Jane Campion films feel kind of like this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's Australian, and you started with a low-budget thing like Sweetie and Angel on My Table, and then Piano was the big breakthrough, and it was only like her third movie, really. And then she did, you know, Portrait of a Lady, big, uh, ambitious, you know, Henry James adaptation with lots of money behind it. Didn't quite get the awards attention it might have. Uh, Holy Smoke was really weird. And then her kind of Hollywood career ended with um, uh, In the Cut. If you remember that Meg Ryan thriller, which was really against type for Meg Ryan and really against type for Jane Campion. She fell in love with this book, uh, which it's it's a novel from the '60s, and it's really actually it really influenced Annie Proulx when she was writing uh, *Brokeback Mountain*. It was one of her big literary influences when she was working on *Brokeback Mountain*. Jane Campion read the book, became enamored with the book, uh, like really obsessed with the book. She wins the DGA award. It's it's I mean it's, I mean she's the favorite anyway. But if she wins the DGA award in a couple of weeks, I mean definitely <laughs> don't bet anybody else. Uh, I mean of the others, I mean Spielberg's. This is his eighth nomination. As as wow. director, he's the first first director to have nominations in six different decades. Jeez, going back to the seventies. Yeah, and but he's only won two <laughs> of those with uh, Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. Uh, if he had been one of those weird cases, like you know Scorsese, where he had somehow never won, you know he might win just for, for that for that fact. PTA, I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson will probably, you know, he'll keep plugging away and will win at some point. It's not going to be for this one. This is his uh, third directing nomination. There will be Blood and Phantom Thread with the other two. But, you know, one of these years, it'll line up for him. It's not going to be with this one. But the, he gets, keeps getting nominated and shows that the other directors in the, in the Academy, who are the ones who make the nominations, I mean, all the, if for those who don't pay attention to this or don't remember the the other directors in the academy are the ones who did the nominations for the ballots uh so those five directors came from all the directors in the academy make those directions so if i forget how many there are if there's 150 or 200 whatever it is those 200 directors make these choices and that's the same for all the categories except for best picture so the the writers are nominating etc so i mean the, the directors other directors his contemporaries and the older directors all clearly think he's talented and and want him to keep going, but it's not going to be for, he's not going to win for Licorice Pizza. 
if somebody is going to upset Campion, I don't think anybody is. But if it was, I wouldn't think it would be Spielberg. I think it would be uh, Brana for, for Belfast. But I think he's probably got a better shot than Spielberg. For Best Actor, Javier Bardem, Will Smith, which we mentioned earlier a little bit, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Denzel Washington in The Tragedy of Macbeth. That's the Cohen film. Interesting project and interesting choice there. And Andrew Garfield in Tick, Tick, Boom. Denzel, I don't think he's going to win. <laughs> As good as he is, he's always good. It's his ninth acting nomination. Jeez. He's got the two wins. Yeah, these these nine means he's tied with Paul Newman, Al Pacino, and Spencer Tracy as the only male actors with, with nine. The only people who have the only male actors who have more than that are Lawrence Olivier and Jack Nicholson. So that's the level he's reached already. And, you know, unless he gets hit by a truck or dies tomorrow, drops dead, he's gonna get, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight more nominations if he lives to be, you know, into his seventies. He's gonna set all kinds of records, but he's not gonna win this time. But I mean he's he's getting to be he's not there yet because no one's gonna be Meryl Street, but it kinda get that level where pretty much if he's in a movie and it's not you know one of those action movies he he knocks off everyone now and then there's a darn good chance he's going to get a nomination it's going to get to that level where just everything he puts out is 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 that caliber and he's just that good and that loved but i don't think he's got a much of a chance of winning since he already has two javier bardem and being the ricardos i i love sorkin as much as anybody i really do i even at this point the Sorkinisms that you can find on YouTube, the supercuts of his different characters in different movies and shows saying the exact same lines or very similar lines or whatever, they're hilarious. They seem really bad, but we're at the point now where I actually have flipped over into liking it when he does that now because it's so amusing to me. So I'm a huge Sorkin fan, but I feel like he's losing a little something as he's moved into directing. The writing is a little softer than it used to be. I don't want to get into this too far because we're not even talking about the writing here. We're just I'm just using Javier Bardem as a springboard to talk about this. But to that end, too, look, he does a good job. And we always talk about how it is simultaneously hard and easy to play a character that we have in real life, a real-life person, right? Uh, play a character based on a real-life person who existed in the media age in some form or another. So we can go and we can find all this video footage of Desi. So on one hand, it makes his job harder because we ha- we get to compare it to the real thing frame by frame if we want. On the other hand, it makes his job easier because he can study all that too. I think he does a good job in that he doesn't try to do a pitch-perfect impersonation. He kind of tries to do the spirit of the thing, and he does a great job. But I was genuinely surprised by this nomination and just kind of a little lackluster on the film overall. Once again, it's, it's an okay film. Uh, I liked it as a drama. I wouldn't consider it a comedy at all. They've been showing a lot of Desi movies on TCM just this last week. They, they, they had them in a drama. They had them you know, in a war movie. And this is back in the early 40s. And he was damn good. I mean, he was surprisingly good right off the bat, even in the dramas and action movies. So having Bardem compared to that, you know, he doesn't really cut it. But uh, doing what he did, I thought he was good. Yeah, and that that kind of thing you're talking about where he's an accomplished dramatic actor but maybe doesn't find as much success there, that is, of course, one of the plot points of the film, right, is that there's some resentment there. And that's yes. that's kind of a classic Hollywood story, right? The, you know, why don't they, why am I typecast? Why don't they recognize me? But no, I, I think I agree. I think it's, it's a good performance. Uh, it would not have... I would not have found it noteworthy if it didn't get nominated. Uh, I'm not upset that it's nominated. I'm not thinking what on earth is going on, but I wouldn't have missed it either. Yeah, I don't know why it's nominated. I don't know why a lot of these are nominated compared to who didn't get nominated, but... 
I mean, I would have put, and, and the way they nominate historically children, he probably would have been up for supporting actor anyway, but I would have put uh, Jude Hill, who played the, the young Kenneth Branagh, basically, in uh, Belfast. Uh, I thought he did really well. I mean, not just for a child actor. I thought it was really good. Uh, I would have put him over you know, most of these guys <laughs> when it comes right down to it, and over both of the, the two Belfast uh, performances that got nominated, but that's a whole different story. It was kind of a weird off year. I mean, often this category has you know five amazing performances and three or four more you can say should could have been there as well. It was just kind of one of those blah years. Yeah, they've all been nominated before. Cumberbatch had been... Uh, Nominated for uh, Imitation Game, Andrew Garfield, Hacksaw Ridge. And this is Will Smith's third nomination already, although it doesn't feel like it. it's been around for so long. Uh, Ali, I think, won, and I don't know what the other one was. Yep, uh, Ali lost to uh, Denzel on Training Day. And then uh, The Pursuit of, Pursuit of Happiness, That's right. which That's was right. the year four. It was a year Forrest Whitaker one for Last King of Scotland. So uh, <laughs> it's one of those weird things. It's a timing thing. Historically, it yeah, I mean, those were two of the years that the black actors actually won Best best Actor, and he was just in the mix and just didn't, didn't make it. So, I mean, I could see, even though it's a kind of a, a weird role, I could see him winning for, you know, longevity because he's liked, because he hasn't won before. Yeah, I mean, since none of them really stand out, I mean, Andrew Garfield, you know, was also in The Eyes of Tammy Faye, and of course, uh, he's I think he's a Spider-Man. I can't remember. <laughs> he's, a, um, he's one of the Spider-Men. <laughs> One of the Spider-Men. Uh, so he had a good year, but, I mean, uh, he, there's, he's got yeah, no chance of winning for Tick, Tick, Boom. Cumberbatch, uh, you know, I don't think even his greatest fans would say as as good and weird as a performance as it's probably one of his two or three best. But could he win an Oscar for it? Sure. I think it really comes down to Cumberbatch and Smith. I think it's between the two of them. Probably Will Smith wins just because he's so beloved and has been around for so long and is generally well-liked by the public and his peers, and he's never won one of these things before. I, I could see him winning, and if it's not him, it would probably be Cumberbatch. vibe I'm getting from this is like there's no standouts in most of these categories, so it's like, eh, why not? One of them just kind of has to become the yeah. de facto, why not you? And it seems to be the power of the dog in most cases. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Uh, best Actress. We talked a lot about Javier Bardem and being the Ricardos, but it's that's kind of funny because people talked way more about Nicole Kidman, uh, even when she was just cast, before we'd even seen her, when the first photos came out of the heavy prosthetic work they had done and all that. A lot of, let's just say, a strong reaction. There were a few times where I thought she was Lucy. I don't know. She just plays it so straight and then... Every once in a while, she gets all these drives in it, all the other characters. I get the idea that Lucy probably was like that, but Desi pushing her along. Looks like Lucy, if you ask me. Even sounds like Lucy sometimes. Yeah, I, I didn't really pay attention to any of the, you know, chatter about who should be cast or why we should cast any of that stuff. I thought she did, I also thought she did a very good job uh, as Lucy and playing the different sides of her. Uh, like you, I'm a, I'm a f- fan of Aaron Sorkin. I love those Sorkinisms. I kind of, I, I love when they pop up. I love when he did the, the odds one in this one again. Uh, I, just, I love that stuff. Six to five and pick them. Is that what you're talking about? Pick em. Yep, that's in there. Six to five and pick them. Like, there it is for what, the ninth time? I mean, it's pretty much in every show. The Sorkin fans turn into the Leonardo 
DiCaprio sit forward and point meme just out of nowhere. There it is. There it is. That's the one. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. But I mean, I think you're right. I think he proved these last two films that he's not much of a director. He's he's a fine. It's a competent. But I mean, and obviously we can't. Not every screenwriter in Hollywood would love to have David Fincher direct every one of their movies. It's just not going to happen. So the man's only got so much time. And more to the point, I feel like when he directs, the writing suffers because he's not focusing on it. I know that. I know I'm speculating about someone's, you know. Like psychology now, but that seems to be the way it goes. The writing is worse on the films he directs. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the the, the secret sauce is, but uh, for some reason, it just it seems to come off better when someone's else is is doing it. And it could just be the material. It could be that you know this this particular project wouldn't have been great no matter who directed it. I don't know. I mean, it feels very TV movie ish to me. Yeah, <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah, that is. I was really having trouble putting my finger on it, but I think you nailed it. I couldn't quite escape it, which is fine. Uh, but, I mean, it's it's a good TV movie. I, I think Nicole Kidman is the best thing in it. You know, some of the stuff, like, with the, the younger female writer and some of those, you know, those are very Sorkin-y things, and I doubt that anyone at that stage had that vantage point to say, my generation and your generation, like, that That feels very, you know, Shoehorned. a writery thing. But, you know, I, I I love it all. I mean, it's still it's it's an okay movie with a couple of good performances, especially Nicole's. I don't think she's gonna win for it. If she, it'd be one of those things. If she had never won before, I think she would win, uh, just because she's her age and hadn't won. But she won for the hours. This is her fifth nomination. I don't see her winning again. Uh, I think the script and her performance are all anchored by. It seems they'll be pointing towards the the commie stuff, and it's not. It's really about the handkerchiefs. And then she really that's the scene she really nails. And the whole movie really build, builds to that at the end backstage with the handkerchiefs. And she like she's really good in that scene and i think it almost elevates the entire movie but there's not enough of kind of that it kind of builds to that but it, there's there's too much kind of light nonsense stuff along the way that, that kind of cloud that gets in the way of, of where the where the narrative is really going i think partially because it's kind of hiding where the narrative is going as a writery trick but i mean it's it's a good movie it's just not a great movie she's the best thing in it but i still don't think she's gonna win when i last looked at the odds for best actress it was one of the only categories that didn't have a favorite who was considered functionally over 50 percent nicole kidman is listed as a the favorite but it's one of those like higher chance than any other person but not a higher chance than the rest of them combined uh which is kind of an interesting place to be so this feels like a a wider open category than most uh one of the let's say plausible ones uh, near the top of the list that was olivia coleman it's totally bizarre for me who first saw her as sophie on peep show by the way, to watch her become like a multi-time Academy Award nominated actress. But she is absolutely delightful. Yeah, me too. I, I've, I've found Peep Show and maybe the second season someone recommended to me and I found it on DVD and, and, and loved it ever since. Yeah, that was my introduction to her and probably if the Doctor Who show she did, like, you know, unless you were in kind of a British TV, you probably didn't know who she was until a couple of years ago and now she's everywhere. <laughs> she's she's now been nominated at three of the last four years and, and won Best Actress. I mean, it's it's great for her. I, I kind of wish, as a fan of hers, I wish it would have happened, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But it's great. I don't think she's going to win. She's not going to win her second Oscar in, you know, four years right out of the gate. But, yeah, it shows how much the other actors appreciate what she does. And uh, she's always good. <laughs> Even in crappy, not that this is a crappy movie, but I mean, she's one of those, like, even if I'm watching some old British TV thing, then I'm like, what is this? And then she pops on the screen like, oh, yeah, she's great. She's always great. But I don't think she's going to win her second in four years, uh, having come from, you know, as far as Hollywood's 
concern from nowhere. Olivia Coleman's won before. Penelope Cruz has won before. Was that Volver? Uh, for best, uh, no, for um, the Vicky Cristina Barcelona for Best Supporting Actress. So this is her fourth nomination, second Best Actress. So she's won before. Olivia Coleman's won before. Nicole Kidman's won before. So I think it's going to be one of those where the two who haven't won are really the two who have the chance of winning, which is Jessica Chastain and Kristen Stewart. Yeah, Kristen Stewart listed as uh, fairly more likely. Penelope Cruz, frankly, is the only one who's not getting decent odds. Uh, again, at least according to Vegas, insofar as we care about that, it basically thinks of it as close to a toss-up between everyone but Penelope Cruz. So this is Jessica Chastain's third nomination. She was nominated for The Help, when Octavia, Octavia Spencer, her co-star, her co-star won, and for Zero Dark Thirty, when uh, Jennifer Lawrence won for Silver Linings Playbook. And Kristen Stewart has never been nominated before. Of course, I mean, most people know her from Twilight, but she's been doing, you know, the the work with uh, Olivia Isaias and, you know, Clouds of Sils Maria and Personal Shoppers. So she's got kind of that art house cred. And while it seems like since this is the film Spencer's only real nomination that like, oh, well, she can't win. I mean, that happens more than you'd think. Like Renee Zellweger just a couple years ago for Judy, when Julianne Moore won for Still Alice and Meryl Streep, Iron Lady, Sandra Bullock for The Blind Side, Marianne Cotillard, uh, Lavian Rose, even Charlize Theron for Monster. That was that film's only nomination. So so it does. It's not one of those categories where you have to have best picture, best director, best screenplay. That it doesn't have to have six other cor- correlating uh, nominations. The fact that that might be the film's only nomination can still mean you'll win best actress. So I think it comes down to Kristen Stewart and Jessica Chastain. And frankly, Jessica Chastain, I think, is a little more liked uh, and is a little better on TV. Uh, gives better interviews. Uh, is probably better known around town. So I think, it, to me, I think it's Jessica Chastain is going to win it over Kristen Stewart and Nicole Kidman. To your point about Spencer, yeah, no other nominations. If anything, you could say not only does that not hurt it, you might want to give her credit for turning in such a good performance with what people might think is, you know, subpar material. Yeah, and Jessica Chastain's really good in the eyes of Tammy. I mean, that also helps. I mean, <laughs> we kind of get past that sometimes. <laughs> talk, about, talk about everything I but the performance know. itself. By the way, she's really good. And, and uh, you know, if you had listed 50 actresses in Hollywood who you have played Tammy Faye Baker, probably Jessica Chastain wouldn't be anywhere near it. But she's really good, really transformative, and a role that, you know, on the surface, if you if you were alive in the 80s and 90s and knew who Tammy Faye was, you think, well, Jessica Chastain? But she does a really good job. So I'm, I'm, I think it's going to be her over Kristen Stewart. But I think either both of them could win before Nicole Kidman. All right. On to the supporting categories. Uh, J.K. Simmons and Being the Ricardos. I'll let you know, uh, for the picks pool, I do various behind-the-scenes work, and I enter a bunch of likely nominees in movies in advance so that the morning of I can have it up, you know, minutes after the broadcast is done. And uh, to do that, I obviously look at odds makers, right? That's just the simplest, most efficient way, and I only have time to enter so many. Uh, J.K. Simmons, I think, is the one of the only ones I didn't have in there preemptively. So because it took a lot of people by surprise, I think it's a little strange because he's such a he's not, he's not a big part of that movie at all, but I'm I think this is one of those well not only do we just love JK Simmons in general, who doesn't? But on top of that, every scene he's in, he's the best thing in that scene. Yeah, I think he's got he's got three scenes really. He's got the the first one we introduced at the table read where he's very funny and about you know beating the kid up from the Danny Thomas show, and then you've got the scene in the bar with him and Nicole Kidman, and then you've got the scene backstage uh, you know, outside while they're waiting with him and and the two ladies, and he's awesome in all of those. And you can't argue that. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it is just he's well loved. His his only other nomination is when he won for Whiplash, but you know he's been in a, a thousand things. I don't think he's going to win. I think that's that that kind of love 
love and respect is what got him the nomination. I don't think he's going to win for it, but yeah, I think that's why he got the nomination for a relatively small part, but it is impactful. Yeah, well, to your point about Whiplash, I kind of feel like Whiplash is one of those, if you put all the winners of an entire decade up against each other, which one wins there? I think it's in that conversation, but you're right. This feels like kind of a, you nailed all three scenes you were in. We don't have anyone else we love here and just the residual love for Simmons. Uh, Why not? Why not, indeed? Uh, so, uh, for the other nominees, uh, Marks, you specifically liked Troy Kotzer in Coda. Yeah, because, I mean, first of all, he's very funny. I think he was allowed to mostly ad-lib his lines. And he comes across as a really uh, funny, honest, no bullshit. Especially when he, he finds out how much his daughter loves singing. And two uh, the songs. And I better shut up because I'm, cr- I'm crying. Oh, yeah, it's powerful stuff. Yeah, it's it's a very emotional. Uh, that's why I think that's, that's why I'm kind of pulling for it to, to upset for Best Picture. I think it's a really strong, emotional, really, really good movie. And he's he's I mean, she the, the daughter who didn't get nominated. I mean, really probably should have been. I mean, that's probably one of the big, only snubs of the year you could say is for best actor. She should have been in there. But yeah, I think it's his to lose. I think he's, I think he, I think this is his award. And if someone else wins it, it's going to be a surprise. If Troy Kutzer does win, he'll be the second deaf person to win an Oscar for acting, of course, after Marley Matlin, his, his co-star, his co-star yeah. for, Children of, for Children of Lesser God. But four other performances over the years have won hearing people playing deaf characters that were either entirely in sign language or mostly in sign language, going all the way back to Jane Wyman for Johnny Belinda, uh, Patty Duke for The Miracle Worker, John Mills and Ryan's Daughter, and Holly Hunter for The Piano. So it's not terribly unusual. And then just last year we had uh, Riz Ahmed and, and Paul Racy, both for Sound of Metal. So it's becoming more common. It's one of those minorities in the world that seems to be getting more inclusion in, in stories in Hollywood, which is great. I mean, I think any, as you see with any of these stories, like Sound of Metal last year and with Coda, when you get around to watching that, I mean, it's, this, the more specific a story is, the more universal it seems to be. So if it if it's the more specific it is about the, this deaf community and this deaf family, it illuminates every father's want for their, their daughters to go off and be everything they can be. The, the two co-stars from uh, Power of the Dog, both good actors. Jesse Plemons has been doing great work. I mean, I, I think most people started really noticing him in uh, Breaking Bad. But since then, he just he seems to pop up everywhere, and he's always good. He's always an interesting presence, kind of like my, that Michael Shannon type, where even if he's only got you know two lines in, in an hour of the movie, you, your eye keeps going to him anyway because he's just got that kind of presence. And, you know, co-stars can, I mean, like just last year, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, you know, one of the co-stars won in the same category. So that's, I think I don't have the numbers in front of me, but about half the time. The vote splitting thing people worry about is not necessarily a big problem. No, it only happens about half the time. I mean, sometimes they cancel it out most of the time. You know, half the time, one of them wins. Cody Smith McPhee is probably more the focus and has more to do, but Jesse Plemons probably more liked and, you know, being there with his wife, who's also nominated, will have more attention on him, but I don't think either one of them are going to win. And Siren Hines, it's great for him to finally get a nomination uh, at this age after working for so long. But again, him and what we're going to talk about with Judy Dench, I mean, very small roles, very good, you know, doing what they do. I think he has more to do than she does, but a very minor role, um, you know, in the narrative overall uh, and compared to, to, to Troy Kotzer, who's just amazing and just magnetic and such a big part of it and such a big part of the emotion of the movie. Uh, it's, it's his to lose. The others are, you know, 
J.K. Simmons snuck in there because he's beloved, and the others did good work and and good movies. But it's it's Troy's to lose. Uh, big stuff. Uh, Kieran, yes, Aaron Hines. I mean, he's one of my all time favorite like unsung character actors. You know, the guy, what the that guy Hall of Fame. You know, you, everyone knows that face, right? He's been in so much, and he's always always so good. And I am just. Pleased as punch to see him uh, get some recognition here. Uh, you mentioned Judy Dench in Belfast, so I guess we're talking about Best Supporting Actress. So you said a little less to do than Hines there. Uh, is this kind of just, hi, you're still Judy Dench? A little bit. She's also got eight nominations, like Denzel. This is her eighth nomination, which is a lot, and especially considering that, you know, she didn't really start getting Oscar nominations until she was in her 60s. So uh, <laughs> she's really piled them on. She, I mean, well, actually, uh, Denzel has nine. She has eight. So she's tied with, with Brando, Peter O'Toole, Jack Lemmon, Geraldine Page, and uh, Glenn Close But No Cigar. So <laughs> she is – She's. I mean, she's one of those actresses who, who's – I mean, yeah. She's. It's a very small part. She's got a very important line at the very end that kind of like bookends the – that really buttons the film, uh, and she delivers it great. But it's – you know, up until then, she – probably has 14 lines the whole movie she's got a couple important scenes uh but i mean it's she's really in the background mostly he's really has more of a relationship to the character uh that the the boy plays who is basically kenneth branagh really has more of a, a speaking relationship with his grandfather the Siren hines character so even in those scenes where she's there she's in the background she's not even you know in the she's not even the, the the focus of a lot of those scenes so i think it's very much like judy dench is judy dench and okay good for her and god she's gonna drop dead one of these days unfortunately and let's give her another nomination i don't think she'll win if it did it'd be super ironic because her the one she did win for out of all those nominations was shakespeare in love which is only f- five minutes of screen time it's kind of infamous as one of the least amounts of screen time that, that won an oscar uh she and beatrice straight and and network so if she wins again. I don't know. What, I haven't seen with the the time. Is it's it's got to be somewhere around the same amount of screen time. Certainly same less than dialogue even than she had in Shakespeare in Love. So it's gonna be one of those. If she wins, it's gonna be like wow. <laughs> I mean, everyone loves her. She's in. She's always good. But I mean, this it's not for her performance because there's not much of a performance there. There's a lot of performance there for Kirsten Dunst. I did say earlier that there are four acting nominations for The Power of the Dog, and I think we all agree they're all good, if maybe not all great. But this is the one that I think there's the most argument for. I think she has the most to do. She has to display the most range, as opposed to, you know, two grown men and the boy who are mostly stoic, uh, as you would expect from yeah. cowboys and the like. But she has a little more to do. This one, I am, I give this my official approval. I am okay with this nomination. It does not confuse me. Yeah, the, the three the three male performances all there uh, pretty much don't change. They are who they are, and, and that's what drives them to their... Uh, fates, whereas her character goes through quite a transformation. The piano scene alone is... Yeah, Yeah, she's very good, and, you know, she's been around since forever. From, you know, Interview with the Vampire is probably the first thing most people remember her as a child, but she had stuff even before that, and you know, then as a teenager, young adult, you know, Virgin Suicides, and she started getting art house stuff, then the Spider-Man movies, and, you know, the Bring It On. She's done a little bit of everything, and she's kind of survived and hung around all these years, even though she, you know, doesn't get to star in many movies anymore. And then, you know, we're even working with uh, Von Trier, and, all, you know, she's really kept her career going in an interesting way. So, and it's her, it's her first nomination out of all those movies and all those things she might have been nominated for before and didn't get nominated for. So, it could be one of those the combination of really good work in a movie that's probably going to win 
at least best director, if not best picture, and also a career achievement. And I think if she doesn't win, it's going to be Ariana DeBose for West Side Story. Yeah, that seems likely. Uh, Mark, have you how you doing over there, bud? Have you emotionally recovered? I don't know. I haven't tried. Okay. Well, that sounded good. I could talk now. You can oh, talk wow, again. I mean, good. honestly, I can't I can't give a better endorsement of Troy Kotzer, really, than the effect it had on you just recalling it. Do you have anything you want to say about Best Supporting Actress before we talk about the screenplays? Well, I, I, I picked Ariana DeBose, even though when I watched the movie, uh, which was just a couple of days ago, she doesn't seem to be in it that much. What, what's, what's happening? Then as we get to the, the latter part of the movie, she's in quite a few important scenes. Um, right. And, of course, if she does win uh, uh, her co-star in this movie who was the star of the one of the co-stars of the original movie rita moreno did win the oscar for the same role in the 60s so it'd be some symmetry there it's that's hard for the voters to pass up kirsten doesn't win for her kind of body of work uh, i think it's going to go to ariana debose and just kind of the symmetry of the rita moreno uh, playing the same role all those years ago and, the, and kind of validating this remake with another Oscar for the same uh, performance, uh, same role, really. <laughs> uh, and that'll join just the Joker and uh, Vito Corleone. If she does win, just Joker and Vito Corleone will be the only two, uh, other two that were um, same, uh, Oscars won by different actors who are playing the same character. That is like one of my, immediately one of my favorite bits of Oscar trivia ever. That's great. Yeah, and the Joker one was very recent, too. So for a very long yeah. time, it was just yeah. Vito. And even that feels like, feels kind of fake to me because it's the same series. You know, it's, it's, it's like almost back to back. But in a sense, this is, this is sort of one of a kind then because it is literally the same role in a remake of the same film. Oh, right, right. This is more the same role than those were the same role. <laughs> yes. I can't remember who it was in their expect- acceptance speech. It might have been Hoffman. Somebody said, you know, the only way to really judge this is if we all go off and we all do the same Shakespeare piece and all, all four, all five of us actors nominated do the same piece with the same director and we'll see who's the best because it's always apples and oranges. But yeah, I mean, this is the closest you're going to get to apples and apples with the same role in the same film, even though Spielberg, you know, Spielberg and Tony Kushner have changed that a little bit but not significantly so it's very much the same role very cool very cool screenplay yeah for well for adapted screenplay all five of the directors for those movies uh either wrote or co-wrote the screenplays which doesn't happen every year but uh it happened this time that one if i had a handicap boy it's either gonna go to jane campion who's gonna gonna kind of get sweep when you win best director best picture and 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 she's the only credited writer on that oh she did apparently uh kind of have a correspondence and and was talking to Annie Proulx as she was writing but she you know she's the only credited writer on it so she could win kind of that trifecta of best screenplay best director best picture if it doesn't uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal for her first movie it's great that she made it um I think if it's going to be if it's not going to be Power of the Dog it'll probably be Coda which probably is not going to win best picture and did not get a director nomination, but the director, uh, Sean Hader, she did adapt the screenplay. So I think if it's not Jane Campion, it's going to be Sean Hader for Coda, uh, which will kind of be that backhanded way of, okay, we didn't, <laughs> we couldn't give you best picture, but here, here's this consolation award of best adapted screenplay. So I think it's going to kind of get that sentiment for her if uh, Jane Campion doesn't kind of go for the clean sweep. As far as the uh, original screenplay goes, and I think Holden mentioned this at the site, and although he mentioned it in conjunction with the act, supporting actor, which I don't know, he I guess he doesn't think that's a, a snub either. You know, the John Peters character in uh, yes. 
that was one of my favorite performances of the year. The uh, the John Peters <laughs> that uh, uh, Bradley Cooper probably one of the only snubs I I put up there for supporting actor and and probably the slot that J.K. Simmons took when he kind of got in there with his sentiment was I mean I'm not a huge P.T. Anderson fan I kind of go back and forth on him I thought his early stuff was too derivative so those people who like really fell in love with Boogie Nights and Magnolia I was like yeah, okay hold hold your role and then when he got to kind of the more individual stuff I really I really warmed to him and and I, I am a fan but yeah I mean even if you're kind of only mild fan the and if you know anything about John Peters' history in Hollywood, I mean, Bradley Cooper gives a very, very, very funny, one of those great, it's almost a cameo performance. He's really got one half scenes. But every second he's on screen is freaking hysterical. He just nails it. He gets his attitude just right. I mean, I would watch that movie again. I'd probably pay to see it in the theater again just to watch the Bradley Cooper scenes. He's that good. And he's all, you know, he's in the middle of the movie. So it's, 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 you have to wait a while before he shows up. But when he does, it's just every second is just perfection. Some of it's very over the top. Some of it's subtle. It's just in the way he's looking, but it's really, really good. And I'm kind of sad for him that he didn't get a nomination and maybe finally get a win because, you know, he's had a bunch of nominations and not a win. This, to me, this was like his shot. Uh, although, you know, with Coda, I don't think he would have won anyway. He's, he's, Tony's just too good. I uh, brought it up in the screenplay because, I mean, Anderson had to write that dialogue, too. Sure. It's hilarious. Seeing the thing, the waterbed, the, yes. way the, the, the way the younger people are are trying to piss him off. The whole thing with the, the movie van going, driving backwards and then forwards and the whole running out of gas crap. I mean... To me, that was like a mini movie. Yeah, I agree. That whole sequence in the middle with them delivering the bed and the and the all the, the having to drive the car backwards, that's like the best sequence in the movie, like by far. P.T. Anderson's got uh, this is his fifth nomination for screenplay, and he's never won. Nominated for Boogie Nights when Goodwill Hunting won. Nominated for Magnolia when American Beauty won. Uh, there Will Be Blood was the year of No Country for Old Men. And then Inherent Vice was uh, the imitation game. So he could be one of those that just after five tries and a few director nominations and not winning anything, this is a way to reward him to say, uh, great, keep going. Again, I think uh, this is one Branagh could win because he's not going to win Best Director and he's not going to win Best Picture for Belfast. And it's a very personal story, obviously, for him. It's his, his childhood, basically. I think he's got a good chance of winning uh, and, and the foreign language, worst person in the world. I mean, the only foreign language winners are you know, a couple of them recent. Parasite and Roma talk to her, but then you go back to the '60s, like divorce Italian style and the Red Balloon. Which, you know, doesn't even have any dialogue. So the, I think it's going to be either Belfast or Licorice Pizza. And if I had to guess, I think emotionally, I think I want it to be. Belfast, because I like the movie and like Kenneth Branagh, uh, but it, I, that one's a that one's a toss up to me. It could be PTA, it could be Branagh, and this is uh, I don't know if you saw, but this is Branagh set uh, and kind of an odd record with this nomination. It's his seventh different category he's been nominated in. Wow, which is a record. No, no other person has been nominated in seven different categories. So he's got a couple for best director, including this year, uh, best actor for Henry V, best supporting actor for My Week with Marilyn. He also had a best short film uh, early in the 90s, 
uh, a checkoff piece that he adapted that was up for best live action short, which he didn't win, but he's never won an Oscar, but he's been nominated for all these. And then adapted screenplay for Hamlet, and then original screenplay this year for Belfast, and then also uh, as a producer for uh, Best Picture for Belfast. So seven, he's the first person with all the history of the John Fords and back when there was way less specialization when you would expect that, right? Yeah, and all those all those generations of writer, director, producers like that. Nobody has ever had this. It's really the the short action live short action film that really is giving him that nudge I think that's an that's an odd category for someone of his pedigree to kind of have, have dabbled in but yeah it's a seventh different so for seven different categories and all these nominations and never have won and be up for best picture and best director but not really have much of a shot of it I think he's going to win for this telling his very personal story here and it has a lot of parallels to obviously to Roma from a couple years ago with a director telling his story in black and white, but also to John Borman's uh, Hope and Glory uh, about his his wartime experiences um, as a child. It's got a lot of parallels to that kind of stuff. So I think it's going to be Branna here, and if it's not, it's going to be PTA. Let's make it eight. Pixar, please hire this man to do an animated family film so we can get him best animated film too. My favorite animated film, which has no chance, I don't think, uh, of the nominees is uh, The Mitchells uh, versus The Machines. But I think Encanto will probably win. It's hard to get past those Pixars. Yeah, they do seem to have a bit of a, a stranglehold on the category. And just everybody sees them. We don't always talk about Best International Feature, um, but when we do, it's usually because something like Drive My Car is nominated in other categories, uh, which do not have that qualifier in it, uh, like in this case, Best Director and Best Picture. That makes Best International Feature a foregone conclusion, pretty much mathematically, but it's always worth mentioning for that reason. When a when an international film transcends that and, and finds its way into the main categories, uh, to the delight, I'm sure, of uh, several of our more learned members who are always pointing out pretty fairly uh, that it's a very American and Anglo-Saxon heavy uh, award show otherwise. Yeah, and not only is, I mean, he, uh, best director, best picture, also best adapted screenplay for Drive My Car, but worst person in the world is also up for best international feature and also for original screenplay. And the real weird one is Flea from Denmark, which is nominated for best international feature, best documentary, and best animated feature, That's which wild. is a trifecta. No other, t- no. Other, I mean, animated feature has only been around since the early 2000s, but still, that's a trifecta no film has ever had before. Yeah, and it's also very weird for there to be when I, I mentioned that, like, Drive My Car is a breakout because it's nominated in other categories. It's really rare to have two uh, international films that, that that meet that criteria. Three, if you count most person in the world for screenplay too. So I mean, it's an interesting year that way. So probably because Drive My Car has gotten all this attention. And it seems like the foregone conclusion and worst person in the world and Flea have other nominations. It's probably going to be the film from Bhutan that wins. Just to screw with everyone's Oscar. <laughs> Wow them in the end. You got hit. You can have flaws, problems, but wow them in the end. And you've got a hit.